All right. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Malakian. And once again, James uh, Rundle, he's being a lazy little bastard and he's away, still on vacation in Italy, I believe. But that works out well for us because it gives us our first ever opportunity to have our European reporter, Josephine Gallagher, on the, on, uh, the podcast today. So, Joe, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me, Anthony. We. And- Joe's got Joe's got a little bit of a cold, so she's you know, she's sucking it up. She's in the office, you know, calling in from London. So this is uh, pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so dreadful right now. Uh, I posh house for not only my voice, but how I sound in terms of the cold. But I mean, you're gonna have to live with it. Hey, listen, you know, you sound fine to us, and also no one really knows what your regular voice sounds like. So for them, <laughs> this is just what's natural. That's true. That's true. <laughs> So the reason why um, we're having Joe on is she just recently wrote an excellent story uh, in the August issue of Waters looking at the uh, ETF, the exchange traded fund markets. And, you know, obviously the industry has gone from actively, this, is, this has been an ongoing trend of, you know, money leaving uh, active management, going toward passive investments and ETFs being the driver of this, and this has you know, been great news for uh, some of the, the larger uh, investment banks and larger asset managers, and so the rest of the buy side is trying to figure out how to catch up with this. But part of this move is stems from 2008, obviously, you know, kind of, there are many people that say that millennials are more interested in this kind of investing, though I hate that term. Um, but Joe, maybe to start off with, you, you wrote the story, you wrote the feature, Obviously, a shift is happening. Maybe what did you find to be most interesting uh, as you went through the reporting of this? Um, well, a number of people have spoken to me about how, obviously, there are younger investors coming down the line and how, I suppose, they they give the impression that younger investors are more interested in ETFs more and more now because of the technology advancements that have taken place, although it is kind of still off the bat of being uh, lagging a little bit compared to the demand, but younger te- like younger generations are more, I suppose, um, interested in getting involved because of trusting the technology that is coming out as well. But like, also from that as well, there's a lot of innovation that is taking place mm-hmm. um, coming down the years as well with the likes of Vanguard, Street Street, Street Street, Street and BlackRock. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like huge investments that are kind of taking place and like one of the examples that I I suppose I've heard is like analytical technology and how they're using this vast um, I suppose ocean of data that's coming through to uh, I suppose uh, um, figure out like what information is being needed to put portfolios together but also like diversify their portfolios but also um, understand like I'll have to figure for, phrase this better. So essentially analytical technology is that is, is they are using that to assess um, how firms itself are performing. Well, mm-hmm. with that, like firms and understanding what securities need to be put into their baskets um, for, for ETF baskets, understanding like there's a vast amount of techno or vast amount of data out there and like with the likes of like balance sheets, equities, um, and like understanding how a firm is working and operating, they can see uh, what what securities to v- invest in and what to put into their baskets, and with that, there's also like the, uh, 
the likes of like Smart Beta. One thing that I actually haven't mentioned in my piece, um, Smart Beta, which is also like, um, it's also called like Alternative Beta and Beta Plus, and it's been used more and more in the past decade to, uh, I suppose, um, like I suppose track um, indices uh, on based on factors such as like volatility and liquidity, quality, value, size, and momentum, and these are used more and more. And from that, like I find like what you said at the very very top of it, you said there was like a move from active to passive. Yeah. Um, a couple of the perspectives that I've heard is that this smart beta is kind of like an in-between to some extent where um, these investors, these more sophisticated investors that are coming down the line are using smart beta to um, make kind of active choices in how they uh, allocate assets and how they um, choose securities for their ETF classes, like I said. So that, that was something I found very interesting. So like, there's kind of like a middle ground nearly. Obviously, there's a diversification with using ETFs. But, yeah, sure. Um, like, a number of things, obviously, as well, with the likes of the popularity that have come out with ETFs. They're cheap. They're transparent. And that's something that I really was honed in on when I was speaking to these people from the likes of State Street. Um, on Vanguard, they said that transparency is massive, and that is very, very important for these investors. That, like, I suppose, like they said, the younger investors are coming in the light, and they want to uh, understand what they're investing in. So transparency pay, plays a massive role in that. Um, but again, like I said, not only are they transparent, they're cheap, they're efficient, tax efficient, um, and they're. At the very beginning, I also said that there is a lot of technology that has been pumped into this and yeah. data that's out there that are informing their decisions and what they um, are kind of like using to allocate assets and, I suppose, diversify their portfolios. Sure. Um, I, can, I can continue. Like, there's a number of other things as well with the likes of algorithmic and AI as well, how some firms are using AI and smart algorithms to... I suppose use all this data. So, so, like you've probably heard a number of times, like they use um, alternative data to figure out how many people are like going into a shopping centre, or figure out how well Tesco's is doing, or uh, Sainsbury's are doing, or Walmart for that matter, um, from your side. And they use that data to figure out how well that firm is performing and how well the securities, the underlying securities are going to do. So they inform their decisions using that vast amount of data that the AI then is thrown into that to kind of extract value from the data. Um, so yeah, there's a number of really important things that are coming out of this space and I think it's only in the past, I suppose, few years they have started to really, really push for technology and really, really drive for technology, um, and especially kind of targeting the, from what I've heard, the younger investors sure. that is, um, I guess, uh, I suppose, more trusting of technology. Like I, that, that's another perspective I've heard. Like that, obviously, with younger investors, they they're more technology native are technologically native and they understand technology more, they trust technology more, and they like to invest in products that are um, easy to understand, cheap, transparent, and 
Yeah. Well, let's, thank you. Yeah, let's let's um let's unbundle a little bit of this here. So obviously, Sorry. no problem. Hey, it's a very thorough answer. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, there are there's many many reasons for it. The regulatory drive towards transparency is obviously helping the ETF market, and you know that that's regardless of technology and stuff like that. But as more and more inflows come in, as more and more um, data becomes available, obviously it's it's it has created new stresses, I guess, along the way. And so firms, so the the ones providing the ETFs have to think about you know pricing matrices and improving the pricing matrices, uh, creating new forms of risk modeling, mm-hmm. kind of you know coming up with inventive ways of creating redeeming you know ETFs, the, the, you know kind of these kind of under the wire, uh, under the hood wiring that that's important to make sure that that they don't get caught with their pants down. Should you know something, you know, should there be a, a catastrophic event in the industry or something like that? So I guess that that's p- part of it. And then we'll get into the millennials. We'll get into the robo advisory stuff. I do kind of feel like that's overblown, but obviously you spoke with people from Goldman Sachs Asset Management, Vanguard, State Street Global Advisors, and various other buy side shops. They all like to talk about it. You know. Th- but I also think old people also are digging, you know, the returns that they're getting from the passive management than active management. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I disagree with it a little bit there. But there has to be, I guess, a move. It would seem after reading your story and talking to people that there has to kind of be, and this is not just for this asset class, but many, there has to be a move from away from Excel spreadsheets and, you know, kind of these more manual processes of trying to track investments toward using smart algos, AI, machine learning to to be able to hone in. And what was it? Uh, you had one person I liked it. So what was it? Uh, John uh, Little from Tabula? Is that how you say it? Uh, um, investments. Yeah, a little buy side yeah. shop over there. Um, he said, the idea, this is a quote from him, the idea with AI is that you can actually give enough information to a machine so it can make a decision and it can make a better decision perhaps eventually than a human being can. Yeah. The tip of an iceberg sort of thing, it's only possible in the most data-heavy environments. Mm-hmm. The ETF market is becoming more and more and more data-heavy, so I think that that's going to create opportunities for technology providers and for um, the banks and buy-side firms themselves to make investments in technology. Do you think that's a fair assessment? I think, yeah, absolutely. Like that, I think that was hit home in the conversations that I had with them as well. They said that obviously data is massive for this because well, data facilitates everything. Like every decision that is made when in trade, like you need to have analytical data to go on. And obviously with and historically, portfolio managers and active portfolio managers have been very um, aggressive at using the data that they have, but this is now available to kind of everyone to some extent. So these investors can make these decisions based on data that is out there and available to everyone, like from, like I said, like equities and spreadsheets or what spreadsheets or balance sheets or like this is available and these are decisions that they can make and. It, like that's massively important. It's just a matter of using the technology to then um, streamline that data and make use of it and extract value. So, yes, it's huge. It's a huge part of it. It's um, I think all across the industry, not just in the ETF space, but this is definitely taking hold, I would say, um, from speaking to these people, that data is a massive, massive part of it. And obviously there's just an extreme amount of it out of there. It's just yeah. making 
making use of it. Well, exactly. You know, as everybody, I guess, is trying to figure out how can they incorporate, you know, alternative data gets thrown around a lot, and it and it's it's a bit of a bastardized term because there's just so many different areas that can be considered, you know, alternative data. But as firms figure out how to incorporate these data sets into other parts of the investment function, it'll naturally bleed into, you know, kind of the ETF market and how um, portfolio managers go about making decisions on what to invest in um, based on these new and varied data sets. I guess that that will kind of uh, be the the next kind of evolution that we're going to see in the alternative data space is how it kind of bleeds into this ETF market. Yeah, uh, like uh, one example would also be with the likes like Vanguard, for example, from the ESG side. They have I think it was in June they introduced um, two new ESG index ETFs, mm-hmm. and like obviously that's a space that is picking up pace as well. Like obviously people are not only considering their their investment choices for profit, but they're also I suppose considering for like other means as well for the environmental, the social and governmental side of things. Um, so yeah, like I think that data is a massive part of it, and it's a massive part of it regardless. Um, and it's just a matter of how they're going to use that data to also um, inform what uh, what indices to track or what um, assets to allocate within their baskets. And it's a matter of like even like the likes. I think there was one quote as well that oh, if I find it, um, it said how ES like ETFs are actually like very accessible to like to even the retail mm-hmm. investor. Um, so, like the likes of, if I can find it now, um, the likes of like a retail investor can go out and invest in an ETF and get, gain exposure to multiple securities for sure. a fraction of the price. This is, I'm very much paraphrasing this. I'll find it in a second. <laughs> um, fraction of the price, and whereas like a a major investment firm can do the same, but they have to pay like. I think someone even said to me like 200 base points or something, whereas in comparison to the retail investors, they might have to pay like two base points. Yeah. Um. So like there is, there's that as well. Like these are quite accessible to, um, multiple types of investors. I know obviously we we cater for the institutional side, but that even probably includes like the smaller firms as well or investment firms. And like it's just a matter of how you utilize. The ETF that you want, and like obviously data, the availability of data is a very big thing. I'll try and find that. Um, yeah, it's all right. If it comes up, it comes up. You know, I mean, people should be reading the story anyway, Joe. It's such an yeah. excellent story. You yeah. worked hard on it, so uh, they should definitely uh, go check that out. Um, to the ESG point. Um, and let, this will kind of bring us into the millennial. And I, I want you to, because I am not a millennial, obviously. So, um, <laughs> yeah, don't give away your age. I'm an old old man. I'm getting close to forty now. So. Um, so, obviously, when I did, I wrote an article about ESG uh, information, and many people said, oh, you know, millennials, they really like to invest in ESG, you know, centric stuff. And to me, I think this is a selling point. This is a marketing uh, ploy that yeah. many of the banks and large asset managers like to use to try and just figure out a way to bridge that gap between the younger generation that they're trying to get their hooks into early now so that they can be long-term clients 20, 30 years, as opposed to the people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s that have been clients for a while and they're not necessarily worried about losing their inflows. So I think that it becomes more of a marketing ploy. Um, 
and it, it kind of gets thrown around kind of shorthanded. But let's – the one area of technology certainly that will improve upon is this area of robo-advisory. And this will be both used and be disruptive by the largest, um, by the largest players uh, in this space. Um, on that robo-advisory front, you know, how much did people say that this is, you know, beneficial, that they think this is going to be something that will be very good for the future? And how much was it that they're kind of concerned that this is going to take away, allow kind of incumbents to kind of come in and steal uh, uh, inflows from them? I think from the impression that I got was that it was just an additional um, factor that played in, I suppose, the popularity or the growth on ETFs. It wasn't necessarily like a key element. It was more um, another factor that has played within this. Like for example, like obviously with robo advisors, they've kind of come off the bat slightly of the, the, the financial crisis, so they've been growing over the years, uh, or the popularity has grown over the years. But like the, the important thing that I thought that came from what I've heard is that these. I suppose younger investors are more inclined to use robo-advisors as well. So that that was quite important because, well, they, like I said before, they trust technology more than maybe older generations. They have this, um, I suppose, n- native understanding of technology more and they, they, I suppose they're more likely to invest in something that a technology sure. or robo-advisor would advise them. And robo-advisors I think, I think have... I, I do think that is a fair point, too, that a younger generation will be more inclined to be open to using a robo-advisory platform or whatever interface, you know, you know, something that removes humans kind of from the, from the whole process. Yeah. But I think that that is true of a younger generation, but I think that as you get older, as your assets become more substantial, mm-hmm. uh, there's always still going to be that room and that need for that human interaction. So, yes, you you kind of use the robo-advisory, you know, kind of piece to kind of reach out to a younger generation, but as they as their investments become more complex, as they become older, a little bit more concerned about retirement, things like that, that's where then the human element will still always play. And do you think that that's a fair assessment? And mind you, I am senior to you, so anything that I say, do you think that's a fair assessment? You say yes, absolutely too. But Ah, you don't know me that well then, Auntie. <laughs> um, You're Irish, of course. Huh? Of course you wouldn't. I disagree. <laughs> I complain about everything because I'm Irish, but not only that, because I'm me. Um, uh, yeah, no, I definitely think you're right there, but not because I'm agreeing because I, I think you're being superior or anything, but I, but I agree with your your perspective on it. Yeah, as you get older, you're probably more inclined to, like, I suppose, become more human-dependent than robotically or, or advisors are using technology to make all your decisions which is which is a valid point um but in saying that i'd actually like say for investors that i'm not going to like condone or i'm not going to like be a marketing tool for ets but i'd say because a lot of people that do invest it's just generally invested in it because it's a safe bet it's low risk it's a safe bet and uh, like essentially like it's transparent to some extent, so you are gonna see that like whatever uh, indices that you're following, or whether they're you're gonna see that they're performing well or not, and the likeliness is the fact that it's exposed to a number of securities, and um, like the, 
it's it's wide exposure, but it's a safe bet overall. But like you said before, like for the older generations, they're probably going to be less dependent on uh, technology. Well, you would kind of hope that as well. As we go on, we're not going to be completely um, fixated on how or what a robot tells us to do. Yes. I'm kind of hoping that's the case more than... (laughs) It's it's less of a dystopian idea if if there's still that yeah. human element uh, piece of it. So maybe we are just hoping for the best here, and uh, yeah. you know, just try not to listen to Elon Musk and uh, his predictions that we're all completely I, doomed and screwed. <laughs> I think I'm very old-fashioned as well. When it, even though like I obviously report on technology, I'm very old-fashioned when it comes to technology in itself. Like I'd rather have control over my own decisions rather than. Uh, a robot telling me what to do. So maybe that's completely different from my point of view, but I, I guess like from an investor side, like I maybe certain, well, from a lot of people that I've heard that investors, younger investors do tend to uh, prefer, uh, or not prefer, but trust robots to make these decisions. But on a day-to-day uh, life um, perspective, I definitely would not want yeah. like the likes of Alexa or... Google or anyone telling me what to do, but yeah, yeah it can guide different. you. It can get, it can, it can serve as a guide. It can serve as yes, you know, something exactly. to. So yeah. when you're on Netflix, you know, okay, maybe I will, you know, check out this movie because this algorithm says that it's in line with some other stuff like, or same thing on Spotify, things like that. So that's where that kind of guiding you toward investments that you didn't think about, and this is how even portfolio managers use it, I guess, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, absolutely. If it's used as a guide and uh, obviously the information is behind it, um, but you obviously have like your human perspective at the forefront, then that's, that's clearly perfectly well and that's a good decision to make. Um, okay. That's what technology and I suppose like data is there for. It's meant to enhance your decision making, not completely control it. Yeah. No, and that, yeah, I think that's very fair. And you know, obviously, and we always tell our our listeners because usually I'm pretty wrong on my predictions, and uh, or on what I'm saying, I'm just completely talking shit. And uh, you know, it's just you know, they tell me at the bar, being like, "No, you sound like an idiot," and I'll be like, "Okay, whatever." But you know, anyway, here's my opinion. <laughs> but the other thing I did want to hit on with you is because um, we both wrote about this a little while back in like July, early August, mm-hmm. um, is Bitcoin ETFs, the idea of Bitcoin ETFs, and you know, when I wrote about, it, I was you know writing about the um, the Vanex SolidX um, mm-hmm. look to try and get a Bitcoin ETF listed launched on SIBO's uh, BZE exchange, but I spoke with a bunch of uh, Bitcoin hedge funds, hedge funds uh, focused on cryptocurrencies, and what I found very interesting was you know you, you were talking and especially the guy from uh, from Goldman Sachs, mm-hmm. uh, his last name was Sachs. Um, yeah. Great name. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very helpful. Um, that there was a lot more caution um, coming from their end on this, uh, as it as a, as a, as that being that next wave of an asset class as being something that will help. But let me ask you this: from when you were talking to them, is mm-hmm. it that right now that they have some reservations about Bitcoin ETFs, but that they do think that 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 is kind of the way that that this will become a component of the ETF space? Or do they think that it will always kind of be this kind of ancillary subset of ETF, but that the ETF market will still kind of, you know, it'll still be fixed income, it'll still be, it'll still be all these other kind of asset classes, and then crypto will just be kind of this weird little cousin off on the side? 
they, from the impression that I got was that they were like, they're all looking at this closely, but they're only looking at it from a spectator point of view just yet. Like, they, they, like everybody to some extent is looking at it, but um, it's just too immature to actually go ahead. The risks are too much to actually go ahead and invest in something that is so volatile, that too, that's so risky. Um, like one, I suppose, like to paraphrase what Sachs had said, he it's too risky to invest in something that could essentially vaporize overnight, which is very valid. Like it's based on sentiment. So although they acknowledge that there is an appetite for cryptocurrencies and crypto assets and the Bitcoin ETFs, like although there is an appetite from maybe some investors, it's just far too risky to get involved from like an institutional point of view until they iron out the security aspect, the tr- like the transparency, the, the safety and like I suppose there's loads of issues with custodian um, uh, or custody essentially. Um, so there's, there's a lot of things to be rectified and um, made clear in the crypto space before institutionals or the big contenders can get involved, essentially. I know there's obviously been a lot of, well, quite a bit of movement with the likes of, like, Six Swift Exchange, where they mm-hmm. launched, like, a, a cryptocurrency platform yep. um, for settlement and custodial services. And, like, NASDAQ also listed a, a Bitcoin tracker one uh, in 2015. There that was in Europe, right? Those were yeah, both that in Europe, was, yeah, that was in Stockholm. Yeah. Um, and that's that's obviously like that is shows there are are some movement from the institutional side, but I do think from the bigger banks or the big 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 contenders that would provide like custody, um, it's it's too early, it's not mature enough, and there's too many things to be ironed out or be made clear before they can get involved. Like I do get the impression that this is a potential long way into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how long, but that is that there could be a Bitcoin ETF potentially down the line, but there needs to be a number of things that need to be sorted before that happens. Yeah, like you listen to some of these, you know, the crypto fanatics are like, oh, it's it's going to happen this year. It's going to happen by yeah. September. It's going to like, no, I, I just don't see it happening. Maybe within the it's, next year. Maybe you know that that's possible. Maybe sometime mid late next year. I think that in February the SEC will again. I'm making yeah. predictions here that I know absolutely yeah. nothing about. But my guess is talking with other people is that February roll around, SEC will kind of deny the Van Eck, but that will move the ball forward. And then late next year into 2020 is when, you know, this will happen here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like another thing, I kind of, I don't know if this is, you can maybe give me a bit of insight from your side, that the EU are a little bit friendlier toward the cryptocurrencies. This is kind of yes. like a perspective that I've heard as well from these guys, that cryptos, are more favorable in the EU than the US because the SEC have obviously said that like they're, they're they don't qualify as security um they're obviously not going to let through uh, a bitcoin ETF until obviously a number of things have been ironed out so yeah that's kind of an impression that I've got that EU are I suppose looking at it a bit more from a friendlier perspective yep. than the US no, it's very consistent yeah. with with uh, what we've definitely have seen over here, and uh, yeah. you know, there for for whatever reason, it's it's been much more of a slow drag to the um, 
it's, you know, people are going to get a little bit pissed off a little bit about, you know, I, th- I think that the U.S. is handling it correctly, but that's also because I just don't understand how the hell people are invested in cryptocurrencies. But I know. I'm, I'm, I'm the complete old-fashioned. <laughs> when it comes to technology and cryptos as well, I this is sheer opinion. Like, I, I would find it very difficult to, like, this is exactly what, Steve Sachs said, I would find it very difficult to invest in something that could vaporize overnight. Because that, exactly. that, that hits home on a number of reasons why uh, these big shots are not jumping in and investing like all their uh, major share of their budget or too much of their budget yet yeah. in cryptocurrencies because it's just it's, it's based on sentiment. It's based on a, like a very volatile market. Like it's, there's no solid value to it just yet. Nope. Yeah. All right. Well, no, so people go out and read the article. Uh, the, the headline was, hold on, I have it right over here, ETF <laughs> priming the $5 trillion pump. Um, Joe wrote that. She also has a story that just went up yesterday on SFTR um, yeah. about the tech implicate that went along, kind of ran side by side with Amelia Axelson, our data reporter in uh, London, uh, wrote about the data side of it. And you wrote about the tech side, about it, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, go give that, go give those a read. And then um, you know, at the end of these, obviously James and I, we like to we like to bullshit about just various topics that are uh, permeating the market. And I say, you know, Joe, listen, I can talk about anything, you know, sports, politics, movies, plays, TVs, whatever, books, I don't care. Just what what interests you? And she <laughs> says, all right, well, what about GAA sports? And yeah. I was like, I have no idea. This, I actually got stumped on this. <laughs> I'm sure. I want. Wish I saw your reaction when I like said that over to you. It was. Like, it was what what the hell is that? <laughs> I. Do you know what? I have. This is going to be really poor on my side of this because I haven't done enough research on this for quite a while. I haven't been following it as much as I used to. But I can tell you that Tyrone and Dublin are in the finals. Um, basically, I'll give people an all-encompassing idea of what GAA, GAA is. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, it is like uh, Irish football and hurling. Well, ju- just, to, just to jump in real quick, it's, so GAA stands for Gaelic Athletic Association. I learned that through Wikipedia. Thank yes. you very much. Well done. I should have put that <laughs> at the very top of my uh, explanation. So essentially, it encompasses all Irish types of sports. Um, and my one being... Being from my county, Donegal, I am very much a Gaelic football um, enthusiast. Well, I'm not being very, very poor now, not having followed it this year, which is really bad. But, um, yeah, GAA, essentially, I I really advise people to go out and watch this. And this is kind of why I wanted to say this to you, because I was like, okay, I need to give this a little bit of a platform. People have absolutely (laughs) no clue what GAA sport is. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to, like... Fly my little flag and tell people to go watch Gaelic football and to watch the the final uh, between Tyrone and Dublin. Even though uh, I hate to say it, probably Dublin are going to win, which will literally be a pain in the ass because they win all the time, or they win, they've won like at least three matches or three consecutive years. So this will probably be their fourth year. Where is uh, Tyrone located? In Ulster, so they are in northern Northern Ireland, um, right. but like it's the whole island of Ireland that play this. It's like the All Ireland Ireland finals, um, and yeah, there'll be two matches. So a match between uh, Tyrone and Dublin. I'm not gonna 
bullshit that I know my dates and when that's going to take place is over the next two weeks anyway. So check those dates. But yeah, like for Donegal, for example, like we are not, okay, we're, we're relatively good at sports, but um, we have over the past, like I think it was in 2014, 2012, we had won the GAA or in Thailand. So I just want to like put that out there that, yeah, like, like find a little flag for Donegal. Uh-huh. Have you have you ever watched this match, or have you ever watched? You know, GA I've been. Channel? I'll bet you that I was watching. Didn't know I was watching because you know, yeah. obviously, if I'm at like an Irish bar or something like that, hanging out with my buddy Peter Madigan, you know, we'll be sitting there watching, and you know, it, there'll be something on TV. I'll be like, oh, what's that? Yeah, and they'll be like, oh, that's Gaelic rugby or football or what I don't know, <laughs> whatever. So, I'm sure I've seen it and just didn't know I was watching it. It's, it's, it's really fantastic. You will literally be mesmerized because, okay, if you watch hurling, I have literally no clue how hurling works, but I know that it's very fast. It's like the fastest team sport in the world. I hope I'm right in saying that, but I've been told that. <laughs> it's the fastest team sport in the world, and it's insane. You will get a neck sprain because your head will be turning sideways multiple times throughout the whole match. It's is hurling like field amazing. hockey? It's like, um, it's kind of like hockey, but in the air. Did okay. you in the air? No, I see, I'm serious. You're going to have to watch a YouTube video after this. Check <laughs> okay. It's amazing. I don't know how to do it. Anyways, um, Gaelic football, which is like from where I'm, like a, basically my county is more associated with, um, is very fast as well, but it's like an amalgamation between rugby and football, which I, I'd say you kind of understand a little bit because American football, it's a little bit like American football, a little yeah. bit. Okay. But yeah, it's also very fast. Let, let me ask you this, because again, looking at the Wikipedia page, so they listed, what was it, hurling, rounders, Gaelic handball, Gaelic football, and something called, and I'm going to probably pronounce this incorrectly, but Camogie? Camogie, yeah. That's the, the female version of, um, of ah, oh my God, is it hurling? Yeah, I think so. God, okay. The only, the two most popular ones now are hurling and Gaelic football. So, okay. like, not to take away from the others, they're all really, really good. But, like, on a, a more national stage, it's it's hurling. And now, let me ask you. So, you live in London, yes? I'm currently based in London. Currently based in London. So, can you watch on any of the TV outlets there? Do they have, you know, any of these Gaelic football, hurling, anything like that that's that you can watch? Yeah, Sky Sports has played it in the past. Okay. Um, Sky Sports has played it in the past, otherwise you have to subscribe to like uh online platform like Satanta, which is like Irish. Um, um that's another way you can get it. But I have watched it on Skype before, um, in the past. So they do they like maybe might be like Sky Three or Sky Two. I think I remember it actually being I think this is like this hit headlines in Ireland, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, where it was on Sky One and people were like, Oh yay! Nobody has a clue what the hell Gaelic football is. It's on Sky One, and I think like Twitter like went off and was like, "What is this sport that yeah. I'm watching?" Yeah, I think I remember. Yeah, it was on Sky One at one point. Maybe it might have been last year, the year before. But yeah, you can get it. You should you should check it out. Well, again, next time I'm in an Irish bar, I'll, I'll ask uh, the barman ask if that's what's happening. But I guess if if you have <laughs> things like because now over here, like on ESPN, you have um. What is it like esports? Uh, so video games, people yeah. playing video games, and I'm just I'm sitting there watching, being like, 
how the hell is this like, 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 fine if this is something you dig and you want to do. I don't understand how people watch it because you're just going from screen to screen watching people play a video game. I'm like, this is blowing my mind. So I would definitely much, I would definitely dig Gaelic football much more than any of the esports that are sweeping over here. So, yeah, you know, I'll give that a try. And I'm sure I can pick it up better than cricket. Except Victor Anderson tried to one time explain to me how cricket works when we were at a bar over here. And I was like, nope, no idea what the hell we're talking about. I couldn't even tell you either, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll ask him later, or I'll ask him tomorrow how yeah. it works. Because I'm like, well, actually, I don't know if that conversation will be that. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, go, wait, wait till you're actually at a bar or something like that. Watch it. That's always better. All yeah. right. Well, uh, Joe, thanks so much uh, for calling in. Um, Again, we will link to your articles, and uh, I'm sure that we will have you on. Maybe next time we'll have uh, James on too, and uh, or hopefully we can actually get you over here uh, sometime in the near future, and uh, we can have you in the proper studio rather than doing this as a call across the ocean. Definitely, I'd love that. Here, a trip to New York would be fantastic. Absolutely. All right, well, have a good weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye now.